Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today, Cut It Out. Cut It Out. And you'll probably already guess why I'm calling it that. We're going to be talking about spiritual amputations in Mark chapter 9, 41 to 50. And speaking of amputations, I have several interesting stories I have here on amputations. One is, uh, I, say, I say bizarre stories. One is, doctor remove, doctors remove wrong foot. Tampa, Florida, do you ever go into the surgery now and they always say, what is really your name, you know, what is, they keep asking over and over, and then they put an X on the spot where they're going to operate or something, and they keep checking, what is with it? This is why, this is the reasons why they do that now. A man who went into surgery to have his right foot amputated awoke to learn that the wrong foot was gone. The patient in his mid-50s was told to blunder while he was in the recovery room. The man's leg was severed midway between the ankle and knee, hospital spokesman said. He did not know if the surgery team made an attempt to reattach the limb. The hospital was investigating the mistake. Imagine that, right? Well, here's another even more bizarre one. Man cuts off arm, refuses reattachment. A man who had severed his left arm at the elbow with a guillotine he had constructed from plans he found on the internet has refused to have the limb reattached, police said. Doctors were going to reattach the arm, but he refused and told them that if they did, he would cut it off again and sue them. The man, I'm not going to use his name, appeared calm when police arrived and as he re- received treatment from paramedics. He initially told officers he accidentally severed his left arm with tools while working in his garage, but police found the guillotine along with his arm in a plastic bag in the refrigerator. And he admitted to building the homemade amputation device from the plans he found on the internet. Police said he is undergoing psychological testing. Okay. Now, I'm thinking, why would this guy do this? And he may have, just perhaps, he may have been reading this passage we're going to study today. He may have been reading this and studying this, and maybe had taken it to an extreme. Who knows why he really did it. But... We do need to take these words to an extreme. These are extreme words today, but we do need to take them to a spiritual extreme because they're very, very serious, challenged verses here today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for getting us here through many trials and struggles and battles. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us now as we prepare for communion today. This is the perfect passage to prepare really looking at our lives and our hearts and what in our life is holding us back from moving forward spiritually. We pray your spirit would speak to us now through your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read this passage in Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 41. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. 
And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Wow. Okay, so let's pick it up with verse 41. If I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. So we have the cup of water starting the verse here. And if you remember back in verses 36 and 37 a few weeks ago, Jesus was holding a child in his arms to teach the twelve a lesson in humility. Remember that? Then last week we looked at verses 38 to 40, which was a lesson on competition. And Mark had, in, had inserted this story on competition he, for a reason. He was, had a theme going. He inserts a different, chronologically a different story into the middle of there. He's making a, 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 a point with this. It's a sandwich. It's a, a Markwich, we call it. To, to, Two events, they insert something in the middle of there, and he's making a point on humility to amplify the whole Jesus teaching on humility. But now he goes back, following the, the story here, he goes back to Jesus holding the child in his arm. It's really a continuation of that. The last thing we saw is Jesus holding a child in his arm. That's the last thing that really has happened in, in the, the, the narrative. If you look at Matthew, look at Matthew 18, you'll see the complete flow here, okay? But... So we have Jesus holding the child in arms, and he says the cup of water thing. What is he talking about? Mar Matthew 10, 42 brings out a little bit more about what he's talking about here. Verse 42, and he says, And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. God wants us to look out for children, just like he does. In fact, in Matthew 18, back, go up a few chapters there. In Matthew 18, 8, Matthew 18, 10, after he gets done with this whole narrative about holding the child and the cup of water and all this other stuff, Matthew 18, 10, Jesus ends with, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. God is looking out for children. Children really do have guardian angels. Do older people? I don't know. I think I might have a few. Uh, I've been through some crazy things. But, but children definitely have a guardian angel assigned to them. Jesus teaches this. And, and they're watching over them. Jesus, God takes the children very, very seriously and what happens to them very seriously. And people that hurt them, we're going to see, takes it very, very seriously. Uh, I really believe in guardian angels. In fact, I... Growing up on a farm, there were many life, life, a lot of kids get hurt on farms, really, really scary. I had a lot of friends that were hurt and knew some people that were killed, adults killed, friends of ours, and I could tell you some wild stories. But I remember one day I was out, I found a shotgun shell, because there's a lot of hunters in our area, and I found a shotgun shell. I was young, I was, I don't know, maybe six or seven, and I was trying to shoot it off, so I had a rock, and I was, I just remember, I still remember, I was out in the cement, and I was hitting, trying to hit that little dot on the shotgun shell, trying to explode it, because I wanted to explode the shell, you know, like, you know, they, they like and I, then it didn't work, so I had nails, and I was hitting everything, just trying to shoot it off, I finally carried it in the house, I said, Mom, I cannot get this shell to shoot, can you, will you help me with it, and she ah! you know, she freaks out, and she says, what did you do, and I told her, she says, don't ever do that again, you know, and uh, uh, she goes, I, I know there are guardian angels, I remember my mom saying that, I know there are guardian angels, but uh, 
a lot of you can tell stories like that, right? And you have children, you know what I'm talking about with your own children now. But children are very precious in God's sight. Very precious in God's sight. And that's red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Very, very precious. That's why Jesus warns us in verse 42, back to Mark chapter 9, verse 42, he says, And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. Ouch. Don't cause children, these little ones, to stumble by what we say or do. It's very, very serious. He said it would be better to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around our neck. The word for millstone literally is donkey stone. And what would happen in Jesus' time is they would have these large stones that the donkeys would be attached to. They'd walk in a circle and they'd grind the grain and they're big and heavy and only a donkey could move them. And that, that's what he's talking about. Jesus was giving them a vivid picture. They'd take that donkey stone, tie it around your neck and throw it in the sea. It'd be better for that to happen than for you to, cause, to hurt one of these little children. Very serious in God's sight to hurt children. Spiritual children and physical children. Some people are older Physically, but spiritually, they're children. They're brand new Christians. It was very important not to cause people to stumble. That's why it's so serious when a pastor stumbles. You see pastors you know, falling to immorality and, and, and compromising and stumbling, and, and it, it hurts. Whole churches are just really, really hurt by that. Now, I understand how it happens. Believe me, I was told by God's grace, I have not crashed out of ministry long ago. It's all grace, but it's, it's very, very serious when a pastor or someone in spiritual leadership does something that hurts people. They compromise in some way. They go against scripture in some way. Very, very serious. It, it hurts people. It damages, especially those who are young in faith. Some of you have been Christians for a long time, and it doesn't, you hear about a pastor falling, or a spiritual leader, or somebody who's in youth ministry, or the music, music person, or anybody, leadership. You hear something happen, and it doesn't phase you because you don't, hey, it happens. Everybody struggles. We're all human. But someone who's young in the faith, it really rocks their world. It really hurts them. Also, a pastor or anybody who's in spiritual leadership that is not uh, sensitive, who is, uh, is abusive, can do a lot of damage. Some churches are like cult-like. The pastors are almost like cult-like. And, and I've, several people here have told me their stories. The damage that it did to you. Being in a church like that where the pastor was this super controlling uh, person and, and the, some of the crazy things that have happened to you. And, but it, what it does is it stunts people's growth. A lot of them never go back to church again. Or if they do, there's always some damage there from that. And it affects, you for, it affects people for years when that happens. It's not just pastors, it's anybody. Anybody who's in a spiritual leadership position has to be very sensitive to the people under their ministry. Very, very important. Spiritual children, but also all children, can be deeply impacted. And it's not just pastors. We can all either have a positive or negative influence on kids. It always kills me when an athlete, they'll say, some athlete will say, well, they'll get in trouble doing something really dumb or wrong. And they'll say, well, I'm not a role model. I'm just an athlete. I'm just out there playing. That is just a real poor understanding. They are role models. Kids look up to these athletes. And when they do these stupid things and wrong things and hurtful things, it affects the kids. But not just them. We are all role models. We are all responsible before God for the kids and what we do to the kids, spiritual but also physical kids. Now think about the spiritual implications of that. Think about it for our country and the United States today. 
One out of three children don't even get out of the womb alive. Think about that. You don't think God's going to judge this country for that? One out of three children can't even get born alive. We live in a culture where children are throwaways. Where, where we live in a culture where many people prey on children. They make millions of dollars causing children to stumble and to sin. You look at the music industry and how it aims at that young people and how it poisons them. And people do it to make millions of dollars on it. In the TV shows that are aimed at children that are poisoning them. In, in the movies and the computer garbage on the computers and the the. TV ads, the alcohol ads, and aiming at these kids, and, and the dr drugs, and, and everything that people are just trying to make money on the kids. They don't care about the kids. They're just trying to make the money on the kids. We, our whole culture, many in our culture have made it their whole goal to warp children's minds, haven't they? To warp children's minds against the truth of Jesus Christ. They're doing all they can to, to mess kids' minds up and, and, and go against the, the, what Jesus Christ teaches, the truth of Christ. There's a determined, depraved group de trying to damage children in our culture. Just, just read the news, you know? They're trying to sow all kinds of confusion, sexual confusion, and it's backed up by these false teachers in churches, these false teachers that say, it's okay to live any way you want. You don't have to, you know, do any, you know, live any way you want. Don't, don't worry about God loves everybody. Do, you know, and, and it's from everything, from A to Z. I'm not picking on one area of, of, of this. But all across the board, they're teaching young people to reject the truth of Jesus Christ. And, the, and then it's finished off by going to schools and colleges that are teaching every kind of antichrist lie. Our country is going to answer for this, unless there's a revival, unless there's a spiritual awakening, because it's very serious. Sin is very serious in God's sight. It keeps us from God, a relationship with God, and from his purpose. You may be sitting there thinking, well, my sin's no big deal. It's not really a big deal. God doesn't. Look, let's look at how Jesus handles sin in our life and, and how he says it affects us. Verses 43 to 49. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not clenched. This talks about what sin does to us, sends us to hell, and what we need to do to sin, cut it out. He says to cut off the hand. What do you do with the hands? That's what we commit sin with, typically, our hands. To cut off the foot, which carries us to sinful places. To pluck out the eye, which is where the temptation enters the body. Now, this is probably hyperbole, right? We know it's probably hyperbole. Because we know that with other places, Mark chapter 7, when Jesus said the sin comes from inside. It comes from the heart and from the mind. That's where the sin really comes from. So he's using a hyperbole, and, and we, we know that... Um, that even if you did all these things, if you don't deal with the sin in the mind and the heart, it's not going to matter, is it? It's not going to help. There's a, one of the church fathers named Origen, and he was so convicted by this passage that and he was struggling with sexual temptation that he actually 
castrated himself. Castrated himself. He wanted to be pure. But he, found a sh he made a shocking discovery. It didn't help. <laughs> Why? He still struggled with lust just like he did before. Why? Because it was in the mind and in the heart. And, that, and this is, that's why Jesus is probably a hyperbole, but Jesus is making a very serious point here. Do whatever you have to do, no matter how drastic, no matter what you have to throw away, no matter what you, who you have to stay away from, no matter what you have to do. Throw away your cell phone, whatever it is, whatever causes, we have to take it very serious, no matter how drastic it is. There was a movie out a little while ago called 127 Hours. Anybody see the 127 Hour movie? But it's based on a true story. It's a climber who was pinned by his arm. I'll read the, the actual news report on it. A mountaineer was pinned by a heavy boulder in the Utah desert, but he, he, he had to cut off his right arm with a pocket knife after he determined it was the only way he was going to survive. Some of you remember the story, some of you saw the movie, it was horrendous. He's pretty darn tough, he wanted to live, he saved himself, said the policeman. Aaron Ralston, 27, of Aspen, Colorado, used a pocket knife to cut off his arm below the elbow, then rappelled down a rock wall and hiked until he ran into some hikers who flagged down a rescue helicopter and got him to help. He had applied a tourniquet to his arm. He had been climbing and he slipped and he fell and he got his arm wedged and he could not get it out. 127 hours he waited, ran out of water, nothing left to drink. Watch the movie, it's very gross. And then, then he finally cuts his own arm off to, to survive. It says, he ran out of water Tuesday and Thursday realized he had to take drastic action. Now that's pretty drastic, isn't it? But he survived. They couldn't find, get the arm. They went back to get the arm. They couldn't get the arm out of the rock. He survived. That's a picture of spiritually what we need to do. Spiritually, we have to do whatever it takes to survive spiritually, to move forward spiritually. They're very, very serious. What do we need to cut out of our lives? Jesus warns us to take it seriously because it affects our eternity. He says it's better to cough up, cut off body parts, whatever causes us to sin, than to be thrown into hell. A lot of people don't like to talk about hell. Half of the so-called born-again Christians don't even believe in hell. Funny thing is, though, Jesus believed in it. Jesus believed in it. Hell is for real, and he says sin will take you there. If you think a loving God could never send anyone to hell, you don't know God. And you don't know how serious sin is to our holy God. God hates sin. Hates it. Cannot have it in his presence in any way, shape, or form. He's holy. Read the Old Testament. That's God. He hates it so much that he sacrificed his one and only son on a cross, tortured on a cross, to pay for our sin. And he does love us. He loves us so much that he substituted his sinless son in our place. And he let his son take our punishment in, in, in our place. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
But we can't stop there because verse 36 down a little further says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. We must make a choice. Jesus or our sin and hell. Everybody has to make that choice. And many, many people, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in Jesus. What they're really saying is they want to keep their sin. Because if they did believe in Jesus and hell, they'd have to get rid of their sin, and they don't want to do that. But it's a reality. It's a reality. Jesus taught it. We have to make a choice, Jesus or our sin resulting in hell. And Jesus does not want us to go there. Did you know that Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven? A lot more. He talked about it more because he knows how horrible it is. He created it for Satan and his demons. That's why hell was created. He never wanted us to go there, but we are making that choice. And it's a place where the worm does not die and fire is not quenched. That's from Isaiah, and it's, the, the idea behind it is it's permanent. It's permanent. Once you're in hell, you are permanently there. I know it's a hard thing to think about. I don't like to think about it. It's horrible. It's something I can't even process, but it's real. Jesus taught it. Mark 9.43, he says, where the fire never goes out, in, in, in verse 43 there, the Greek word for that is asbestos. Sound familiar? And the whole idea of asbestos, why it was so popular, is it was, wouldn't burn. No matter what fire hit asbestos, it didn't change its property. It was fireproof. It also killed a lot of people. <laughs> you know, lung cancer, right? But, but that's the word here. We, if we are in hell, we don't burn up. We don't burn up. It, it's eternal. Matthew 18, 8. Back in Matthew 18. Jump ahead to that again. Back to that again, I mean. In Matthew 18, 8, it says... If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than in two feet, two hands or two feet, and be thrown into eternal fire. Eternal fire. We all have to make a choice. Is it sin, the sin that we want to hang on to, which really is ruining our life anyway. It's creating a hell on earth in the end. Those who have lived long enough can see that. That's all sin does. Sin is a lie. It's, it's outside of God's purpose for us. It's destroying the life that God wants us to live. But it's a lie. It's like the fishing with that lure. And that lure looks so good to that fish, and it's dead. We got it. And that's what sin is. It's a lie. It looks good, but in the end, it's, a, it's empty. It's not real. It's a lure, and it ends up killing us. It's a lie. Sin is a lie. It's a lie here on earth. It will never fulfill us. It will give us a, a brief pleasure, but it will never fulfill us. It will only kill us here and for eternity. We have to make the decision. Are we going to believe the lie or are we going to believe Jesus Christ? Are we going to put our faith in a lie or are we going to put our faith in Jesus Christ? And I know some people are sitting there thinking right now, but uh, I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter if I sin. I don't have to worry about hell. No, but you can still get burned. Sin will still maim us and destroy God's purpose for our life. And in the end, Christians will face, if we put our faith in Christ, we don't have to worry about hell, but we're going we're gonna to face a different kind of fire someday. Not hell's fire, but a refiner's fire. A refiner's fire. Mark 9, 49, when he says there, everyone, everyone will be salted with fire. 
we will all face a refiner's fire. 1 Corinthians 3, in 1 Corinthians 3, starting with verse 11, listen to what Paul says. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Will we go to heaven? Yeah. But how do you want to enter heaven? With victory and gold and, and, and silver and costly stones that you have based your life on and lived for Jesus Christ? Or you want to escape as one escaping through the flames? How is that? In their underwear, right? They're in their pajamas jumping out the window. That, they've got nothing left. Do you want to enter life, eternal life that way? Or do you want to enter life with something golden to present to Jesus Christ in our life? And the key for this is Mark 9, verse 50. He says here, verse 50... Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Our salt content is the issue. Remember Matthew 5, 13 to 16? You can get the podcast or the CD if you weren't here for that. But it, Jesus talked about how we're the salt of the earth. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. Salt preserves. Salt seasons and flavors. Salt... That's what salt is supposed to do. That's what we're, our lives are supposed to do that on this planet Earth. We're here for a reason. But if we lose our saltiness if we, because of sin, if we lose our saltiness because of a compromised life, if we lose that saltiness, we're no longer good to God or man. We're worthless. We're going to go to heaven? Sure. But your faith in Christ, you're going to heaven. But, but in your spiritual underwear, just like escaping, jumping out the window, nothing to show for that life. How is God speaking to us? Are we salt? Are we impacting our world for Jesus Christ? What's keeping us from doing that? What do we need to cut out of our life? To take very seriously, what drastic steps do we need to take? What person, place, or thing is holding us back? Draining our spiritual power. What person, place or thing is draining our spiritual power. Maybe it's the TV. Got to put a lock on it. Maybe you got to throw it away. Maybe it's the computer or our phone that we got to put a block on or we got to stop using it. Maybe it's, you know, and I'll encourage parents, parents, if you have a computer in your house and you don't have some kind of block system or, or covenant eyes, accountability, you're playing a dangerous game. What if, what if you had a gun in your house? Would you just leave it on the table, just sitting there, loaded, sitting on the table? No, you'd put a lock on it, you'd take the ammo out, you'd make sure it was safe. Well, listen, the computer's far more dangerous than any gun. Or the, 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 what the, the internet is more, far more dangerous. We as parents better put a block on this. We better be monitoring. We better be very, very careful if we, because our kids can be poisoned and are being poisoned by this stuff. Talk to me. I'll help you get that accountability. But, but we got to deal with this in our life. What, what in our life is a trigger? Talking about guns. What's a trigger? What triggers us to, to stumble and to struggle? For some people, it's alcohol. I know some Christians who do great until they take a drink. I'm not saying you can't take a drink. I never said that. 
But I'm saying a lot of you cannot because every time you drink, you do something stupid. We, we sin, we fall. But it's just not alcohol. There's anything that in our life that causes us to struggle. Anything that's addictive. Addictions. They're disease. They're mental. No, no. They're besetting sins, the Bible calls them. They're besetting sins, and we've got to deal with them. We can't let these addictions pull us out. could be anything. What do we need to cut out of our life? Who do we need to kick out of our life? What do we need to throw out of our life and be ruthless? This is a spiritual cancer. What do you do when you have cancer? You're ruthless, right? If you want to survive it, you go through chemo, which kills those cells, and, and radiation, and cut your, let doctors cut off parts of your body and cut, cut off anything to get rid of that cancer. And this is a, Jesus is talking about a spiritual cancer. What do we need to eradicate in our life? To either get into heaven, or if we're not already going to heaven, what's going what's gonna to help us to live the Christian life that God has called us to live? Very, very serious. It affects our eternity. It affects all of eternity. Are you ready for eternity? Maybe you're not ready for eternity. Where will you spend eternity, with God or in hell with your sin? That's a choice everyone has to make. We have to decide, am I going to choose my sin, my sinful lifestyle, or am I going to choose Jesus Christ in eternity in heaven? We've got to make that decision. And eternity, eternal life doesn't start in heaven. It starts the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's when eternal life starts. That's when real life starts. Life in Christ. And it continues throughout all of eternity. But we have to make the decision. Are we going to spend it with Jesus or in hell? We all deserve hell. Every one of us. And I'm at the top of the list. We deserve hell. But God has made a way out. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. No matter what our life, that's what we all were, weren't we? But whatever we were, it doesn't have to be what we are. We can be justified. Justified means just as if you never sinned. Just as if I never sinned. By putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what communion is all about. That Jesus died on the cross. The, the, the bread is the body of Christ. The cup is the blood of Christ. And we're remembering that Jesus died on the cross in our place. That was, he did it for us. And he gave his blood for our blood in our place. And it's all about our way out, Jesus Christ. How we're going to take it in just a moment. We're going to have some worship music playing. And when you're ready, just come up and take the cup and take the juice back. You can take this by yourself. You can take it with a friend. You can take it with your family. However you feel led to do it. If you have trouble getting up here, just ask someone to grab it for you. But there's... Very important reasons why not to take it. The Bible says if you're not a Christian yet, don't take it. Serious, serious to take it when you're not a Christian. There's judgment. Also, if there's sin in our life that we will not surrender. 
Notice I didn't say there's sin in our life because we all have sin in our life. None of us should take the communion, right? But it's not about having sin. It's about not surrendering that sin. Not struggling with that sin. Saying, I don't care, God, what, you, what your word says. I'm going to live this way. I don't care. I'm going to go against your word. Then don't take it. But I hope everybody here does take it. I hope no matter what you're struggling with, you say, God, I need your mercy and grace. I need your help to keep fighting this thing. And whatever it takes, I'm going to talk to whoever i got to talk to. I'm going to deal with it. Whatever it takes, I'm going to deal with it. I hope everybody can take communion. And maybe you've never put your faith in Christ, but today is the day you take that step of faith. And you can commune, not just take communion here, but commune with God anytime, anywhere, putting now that he would be your Father in heaven. How is God speaking to us on this communion Sunday? Maybe you're really struggling with something. Well, I'm guessing we're all really struggling with something. If we're here on earth, we're still struggling. But there's something the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind and heart right now. Will you respond on this communion Sunday and say, God, whatever it takes, I don't want this to hold me back. I don't want this to rob my joy here on earth and rob my rewards in heaven someday. Whatever it takes, I'm going to deal with it. Whatever I have to throw out, cut out, whoever I have to cut out of my life, whatever it takes, whoever I have to talk to and confess this to someone who can help me and hold me accountable and encourage me, whatever it takes, I want to be in close communion with you, God. My relationship with you is more important than the sin in my life. My intimacy with you, God, is far more important. My love relationship with your son, Jesus, is far more important than this empty sin. While we're praying about that, maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never given your life to him. Sin is not just robbing you of life here, but it's robbing you of eternal life. You know that you're facing an eternity separated from God in hell. But you don't have to face that. Not for even one second longer. Because Jesus died for us. Because God does love us and has given us a way out. And he's given us a choice between hell or putting our faith in his son Jesus and giving our life to him. And you can make that choice right now. I would encourage you to make that choice right now. Because if I was facing hell, I wouldn't want to face it for one more second longer than I had to. It's a reality, but God's love is also a reality. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life.
Would you pray that prayer now? God, I'm choosing Jesus, your son, who died on the cross in my place, who paid for my sin. who took my punishment. I put my faith in him. I don't want the sin anymore. I put my faith in Jesus and give my life to him. If you've prayed that prayer, you now have life. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you have life. You don't have to fear hell. You don't have to fear anything on this earth ever again because you can talk to God anytime. You can commune with him anytime as your father through his son, Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Tell me, tell somebody, let somebody know so that we could encourage you in your new life in Jesus. Father, I know we're fighting many, many battles. Spiritual battles, trials, struggles, Lord. I just pray for your Holy Spirit to, to move in us today. Setting us free, giving us the grace to keep on fighting, to move, take a step forward in our struggles. Pray that your spirit would move in a powerful way in this communion time. In Jesus' name.